Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we talk about the BAFTA Awards, which happened last weekend and maybe provided a few Oscar clues. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Manchester by the Sea writer and director Kenneth Lonergan. So stick around. Back. Is there anything left to say this year, by the way, you know? <laughs> I just, I think uh, La La Land has a really good shot at Best Picture. I think I'm they're going to do go okay. Out on the limb here. I think that Viola Davis might pull it out. She's one to watch, let me yeah. tell you. Actually, she was on Varieties, I think, Actors to Watch years ago. <laughs> years ago, yeah. What, was she really? I think she was, yeah. What would that have been for? Um, pr- I'm thinking, it definitely, if it wasn't Doubt, it might have been like Antoine Fisher. Oh, yeah, or, or like Solaris or something, maybe. <laughs> so I always thought it was Solaris. Solaris, Solaris. I, maybe if I pronounced it right, it would have done better at the box office. Yeah, it was all, it was counting on you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so BAFTA Awards were this weekend. I tried to watch. I did. I couldn't get the live stream to work. It just kept showing me the red carpet. Well, this that's the other thing. Like, I don't know where you would watch it here like in the states like on tv if there's like a bbc i feel like they're used they to air be, it on but bbc it later i thought they did too so much later and well, so like i thing. already knew all the winners on twitter and like the bafta twitter feed doesn't start updating and t- now until the show is actually airing and it's like really guys which is like hours we, later yeah, or, we know yeah. what happened yeah welcome this is almost as bad as the wga awards Oh, yeah. Which are taking place this weekend, which have two ceremonies. Yeah. It's funny because my time hop was showing me all my tweets from last year, which were like, you know, all the winners already knew if they'd won or not by the time they got to the stage. It's it's like, why can't they figure that out? Oh, it's horrible. So the surprises came in the below the line categories. Your your favorites. We was. (laughs) (laughs) Should we clear that up? What? That that you (laughs) have this idea that I don't care about below the line? No, it came from somewhere. I don't think so. I think I it, think it was when from... I was talk- we were talking with Tim, and I was trying to like be excited about some craft stuff, and you're just I like, it, I don't care. I think it even predates that, okay. where you started talking about some craft, and I was really tired, and I joked about my eyes glazing over, and somehow that transferred into Below the Line. No. Janelle loves Below the Line, guys. I do. Come on. Uh, let's see. The Hacksaw Ridge won film editing, mm-hmm. which I don't think anyone saw coming. No. I thought if anything would beat La La Land, it would be Arrival. Exactly. Yeah which won the ace award for drama now it's between the three for the oscar because i think you can look to bafta for things like craft categories now because ever since they changed their voting three years ago to reflect the academies which means it used to be everybody would vote on the nominees Mm -hmm. and then each branch would vote on the winners so you would end up with kind of weird nominees right and then the individual branches would decide the winners now it's the reverse of that which is what the Academy does, is everybody votes on the winners, but the branches decide the nominees. So should I be worried about Mahershala Ali, is my question. Uh, no, but I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, as it pertains to Below the Line, I think it's instructive just because now you get to see what a big group of film mm-hmm. artists thinks of these individual little branches. So, for instance, Whiplash won film editing uh, at the BAFTA Awards a couple of years ago. Right. No one really thought that was going to happen. So once that happened, it was like, oh, well... I wonder if that's possible, and then sure enough, it won the Oscar. So um, that was a weird year, though, because Birdman was the Best Picture winner, Birdman and, and it wasn't was nominated, not nominated yeah. for editing, which means by the rules, <laughs> it, it should, should not never win Best Picture. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, that, I think that means we need to look at Hacksaw in that race. I mean, it's it's wonderfully edited. Yeah, yeah, and a war film, obviously. So you know, they, those tend to do okay. Arrival did win sound, so now it's something to consider for sound mixing or sound editing, which I'm wondering if. I mean, I would like Arrival to walk away with something. Yeah. Um, Fantastic Beasts won production design, but that's kind of like a. Now I'm glazing over. Did you see that movie? I did. I hated it. It's it's, (laughs) it is not good. I didn't like it it? at all. I didn't like like it at all. They didn't even try. Below the line, it's impressive. Although I did not like the visual effects, but you know. It's also a big British production, True. you know, like maybe there's something there with BAFTA not, uh, awarding that. But again, when you look at those nominees with the Academy, there's not like – like it's the biggest mm-hmm. quote-unquote production there is. Like, sure. The and other nominees are like Arrival, La La Land. I'm sorry, everyone. Chris has a call coming in. Is that your phone <laughs> that know. you couldn't be bothered to silence for your own podcast? Jeez, I'll do it now. It could be Hollywood calling everyone. I think you better take it. <laughs> there. Done. Um 
What else happened? Uh, Can I add that to complete the douchebaggery effect? You have your sunglasses on top of your cell phone. Here, now I have them yes. on. <laughs> I'm wearing them. Uh, let's talk about Dev Patel though, because you, you brought yes. up Mahershala. Um, I've, you know, Dev's a London guy. Him, Dev's a London guy. Sure. You know, the movie Lion opened January 20th, I think, and Moonlight doesn't open for another week. There, I'm taking these off. <laughs> I want to get a picture <laughs> of you in your sunglasses, but you're so camera shy. Uh, and Moonlight doesn't open for another week, and so there's that because meaning there was a ton of press for Lion when mm-hmm. voting was happening, and obviously Lion won adapted screenplay as well. And they do love him from since Skins. They love him, and they love the movie too. The movie is is really beloved over there. Well, the movie is is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I've actually been I don't know if I say worried because I would not be upset if Dev Patel were to win the Oscar, but I have wondered if he was a possible spoiler all along. The other thing too is I don't think there's as much of an urgency to reward a movie like Moonlight over there as there is here. Interesting. Meaning the race element of it all. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like it's smarter to hew to what SAG did there. With My Marshall. concern is what happened last year where SAG, Golden Globe, and BAFTA all went in different directions in supporting actor. And then BAFTA winner Mark Rylance ended up winning. Without doing a lick of campaigning. I know. Which was a little interesting. And I thought, well, he is beloved by the Brits. I mean, he's pretty beloved here in the States, too. But, you know, it didn't surprise me he won the BAFTA. But The thing with that was, like... We all got a little, like, starry-eyed, I think, about Sly Stallone, like, finally getting that, you know, that role, getting mm-hmm. an Oscar or whatever. But everybody knew when they saw Bridge of Spies that Mark Rylance was amazing in it. And it was sure. a great supporting performance. So it kind of made sense. Dev winning would be a little more out of the blue to me. It's a lead performance, which helps him. Mm. I think it's a lead performance. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think, you know, he's in half the movie. But I guess if you had to pick a lead, it would be him and Sonny, who plays him, who's actually in more well, of the Well, Sonny's movie, gone think. about 40 minutes into it. No, I think he's actually in, like, the first hour, and Dev's only in the last 40. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know well, if it makes a difference. We're splitting hairs here, but... I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe something interesting will happen there. The, uh, <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson's not in the mix, <laughs> at least, so that's not going to confuse things for I really. just feel like Lion is finally starting to get the momentum I thought it should have had a month ago. Who won the SAG last year for supporting? It was Idris Elba who wasn't nominated for an oh, Oscar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And But Stallone was not nominated for SAG. Because was, of the handling of that. There were no screeners, probably, was the deal there. Yeah. That movie got kind of mishandled. In I general. mean, honestly, as, as well as Creed did, it should have been nominated across the board, in my opinion. Yeah. But now, here I am a year later still harping on that. It's worth harping on. <laughs> but, you know, Ryan did okay. Well, <laughs> I got a Marvel movie. I coming. was a little unnerved by the fact that Moonlight didn't win a single BAFTA. Uh, yeah. Well, again, there's not as much urgency, I guess, to reward it. And plus, it would have maybe won screenplay if it wasn't adapted there. It was an original there. So the three movies, Manchester, La La, and Moonlight, were squaring off. Manchester won. Which shocked me, honestly. You have a lot more I, faith in the Manchester screen. Well, I, I, I picked it there because it made sense for BAFTA. But, like, you know, with the Oscars, it's kind of mano a mano, right? Mm-hmm. It's Now it's Manchester and La La because Moonlight's over and adapted. I kind of think that those three movies were pulling votes, and it just kind of allowed a scenario for Manchester to squeak through. I don't, I don't know if I'm just overthinking it, but, you know. There it is. I, I at the Oscars, I think. I mean, look, I just wrote a piece this week that was the you know the five closest races, I and read I that. think that's you know Manchester versus La La for screenplay is one of them. My instinct is still La La. Yeah, and you you also talked about Casey Affleck versus Denzel Washington. Yep. To be honest, I only read the first two because the other three were below the line. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, do we have any theories as to why Denzel Washington was not nominated for a BAFTA? He's never been nominated, has he? I don't know. Um, there again, uh, issues of race don't don't have as much uh, of a footprint. But he's there. still Denzel Washington. I know. And delivered consistently and amazing won, performances. And, yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal got in instead, and that's curious. Nocturnal had like nine nominations, I mm-hmm. think, didn't win a single one. So, uh, you know, where did the love for that go? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, did Tom Ford run out of perfume? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> or flowers. Or Don't flowers. forget who sent me flowers. Oh, did he? Yes. No, but he didn't sign a last name. So I got these flowers from a oh, mystery Tom? Tom. And <laughs> I mean, these are champagne problems, but I was like, is it Hanks? Is it Hiddleston? Like, I don't know. Don't get too big for your britches. He sent me flowers, too. Okay? <laughs> really? He sends all the ladies flowers. No, but he did send, us, send some to Pete Hammond. I think it was people he did Q&As with. <laughs> okay. And they you. were beautiful, by the way. It's so funny. Like, how could I not have guessed these were Tom Ford flowers? These look like Tom Ford flowers. <laughs> What else happened? Moon, uh, La La won, like, the expected stuff. Uh, it won cinematography, which I think is an indication that ASC's mm-hmm. uh, rewarding of Lion here is probably an anomaly. Um, La La won, obviously, picture, director, actress, score. All of that's going to happen here, too. So I noticed you didn't put in your close races Emma Stone versus Isabel Huppert. I don't think that's close. I don't either, and I'm shocked by how many people think it is. It's and just uh, it's a Bohu pair fanboy. Vote. Sure, no, look, she's great, but I, you know, we say this every week that critics aren't voters, yeah. but people keep saying like, you know, well, why her and not Natalie Natalie Portman? Then? That, like, see, why? I think Natalie Portman is that, she, you know, neck and neck with her as well. So, I think uh, Emma's walking away with that. Yeah, after SAG, I'm I'm willing to declare that that this is over. I do think um, if Natalie hadn't won so recently, it might have been a tighter race. Maybe. I don't think that movie's, like, well-liked. She's really appreciated for it. Like, it, it would have been more – there would have been more of a yeah. campaign because of that, probably. Yeah. Like, that would have been more of a narrative. But, um, oh, Jackie did win costumes at BAFTA, which – Yes. I guess makes sense here. It's not quite a costume porn, quote-unquote, movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe it'll win here, too. Well, what's its competition out here? La La, ah, La, La Land. But, yeah. again, La La Land is, like – modest on its crafts mm-hmm. in that way so you know there's a lot to think about i guess for those of us who care too much about our predictions i don't care too much about my predictions though me either that way when i get them all wrong <laughs> i can say hey, i was voting with my heart I, I know sometimes i seem like i do but i really don't <laughs> because if i did i would it drives yourself it'll drive yourself crazy so don't don't care too much people about i did think that ryan gosling had a shot at the bafta win and so with casey affleck winning i, I do think it's probably down to denzel and casey at this mm-hmm. point yeah well who are you picking uh, I'm sticking with Denzel. I'm sticking with the SAG winner. I think I am too. Yeah. But it's tough. It's it's, <laughs> it's tough. tough. And then there's still a part of me that is like, La La Land Love at the Oscars could sweep Ryan up in there. Ryan, you know, yeah. is starting to become very overdue. That would be way out of the blue at this point, though. I guess it would, but... What else happened this weekend? Art Directors Guild, we had uh, La La Land won Contemporary, Passengers won Fantasy, which beat uh, Fantastic Beasts and Arrival which I think was the correct call. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I spoke to uh, Guy Hendricks, uh, D- Dias, Dias, yeah. uh, the art director of um, – Production, production designer. designer. Sorry. Of, um, because it's below the line, you know, <laughs> uh, of passengers. And I really loved his spaceship, the segmented ship. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I thought that that was so creative and that, that alone really interested me. And he talked a lot about how he really based the ship on a cruise liner. Mm-hmm. And having just been on my first disastrous cruise, mm. I, I remember seeing the movie and really being taken by how much it did feel like a cruise ship. Yeah. And then period was, uh, oh, Hidden Figures, which is not nominated. Which surprised me, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. it'd be Hail Caesar. If I had a vote in that category this year, I'd go Hail Caesar. Hail I think Caesar's it's the best production. So time. fantastic, yeah. So what else happened? The USC Scripter Awards I attended. I love going there every year. It's like a fancy little confab in the Doheny Library where, where I wrote my thesis. Really? What was your thesis on? <laughs> Westerns. Really? Yeah. My least favorite genre. Really? Yeah. Well, fuck a, you. That's <laughs> 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 oh, real mature crass. <laughs> cool. This podcast gets the little E next to it. That's it. The explicit. explicit <laughs> Maybe we can beep that. It was it was called the, the Western in Obama's America. How wow. pretentious can you sound? Wow, that was your thesis. When did you write that? When? Yeah. 2009. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. What does this mean? What are these? It means I'm old. No, it means I'm old. <laughs> no, I think I'm older <laughs> than you, which I didn't realize until now. Do I look old? No, but you just, I wasn't going to say you seem more mature than me. I just, I've always, I'm used to being the youngest person in a room. Well, you can keep thinking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell myself a that. A lady never tells. <laughs> uh, but what one? Uh, Moonlight, uh, based on, you know, quote unquote, based on. Uh, Terrell Alvin McClane. Yeah, that's sort of interesting that it's even eligible for yeah. a USC Scripture Award, but if, I'm glad it won. And with the Oscars, I mean, when you read that short, which I have, mm-hmm. it is very clearly 
based on it. You read it and you... Sorry, are you talking about Arrival? I'm talking about Moonlight. Oh, you mean the play? Yeah. When you read the play, it's based yeah. on Okay. Did I... You said did, short. Well, it's a short... It's not It's not really a play. It's written really? as, It's written in screenplay format. It's a short film screenplay. Really? How yeah. many pages would 45. you say? 45. Wow. Yeah. And when you read it, it's very clearly... Like, you can see Moonlight in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the issue is it was never published or produced. Right. So they should just remove that language from the category. Yeah. Obviously, the WGA was like, this was never published or produced. We're considering it original. And the Academy was like, eh, we're going to move it to adapted. I've heard that might have been done somewhat willfully. Really? To provide it a an avenue. Uh, I'm very interested but, to see what happens at WGA this weekend with it not in adapted. What do you think wins? I think whatever wins original, if it's not Moonlight, uh, if, if you know between Manchester and Lala, mm-hmm. if which one of those two happens to beat Moonlight and the other, I think I'm going to predict that. Well, Does what that do you make think sense? Was adapted. Adapted. What are the nominees? It's Hidden Figures, I Arrival. Not, I think it'll Lion's be Arrival. Lion's not eligible, is it? Lion's not eligible. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking Arrival just because it's a younger membership. Yeah. See, you I know? really think Arrival could win the Oscar. I don't. I don't. I, I think uh, if it had won BAFTA, then I would have felt like that was a mm-hmm. possibility, but. I just don't know that it's going to be a moonlight sweep in adapted screenplay the way people seem to think. I'm I'm keeping an eye on Lion and Arrival. Mm-hmm. I just, moonlight is just the best place to to honor it, you know. No, Mahershala Ali is the best place to honor it. <laughs> don't <laughs> make me flip this table over. You know, to get Barry some love. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, but I know, feel pretty good about Moonlight winning the Oscar there. I guess. I mean, I hope you're right. But, but I know, think I think that La La Land is going to win the WGA and kind of make it clear that it's going to win the Oscar. Yeah, I think you're right. Just I'm like sure. when Argo beat Lincoln at the WGA Awards, and it was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, and not to say that Damien Chazelle won't be back, but Kenneth Lonergan is one of our greatest living writers. Well, that's He's the thing. Get a lot more I mean, shots I, at this. I, I must say, I should add that I think Manchester deserves it, and it's it's difficult to pass up an opportunity to give a Pulitzer Prize nominated guy. That. But he's only Pulitzer Prize nominated. He didn't win. <laughs> Meanwhile, August Wilson won the Pulitzer. <laughs> Give it to him. Give it to his. Oh, I was sitting at his, uh, the table with his uh, his widow. Oh, Constanza? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've never met her before. That was nice. I think she actually, um, she did the, is it the costumes for the Tony revival? I don't know. And I think she was like a Tony nominee for it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think that, that that's how they met, like, via the theater. That's this weekend. What else is this weekend? Uh, Coming out this weekend? Or, no, sorry. I mean, like, just stuff. What's happening? The the Motion Picture Sound Editors. The Makeup and Hairstylist Guild. Makeup and Hairstylist Guild. They are serious, man. They, like... What, like, With their bake-offs and... No, with, like, you know, what you have to... I've, I've been... Or I've heard stories of, like, the presentations these people have to give and why they didn't make the cut. Oh, you mean at the bake... Like, for the yeah. for the makeup branch of the academy. Yeah, yeah. They don't yeah. mess around. Yeah, that's... Uh, I want to go to that one year, actually. Uh, but speaking of... Uh, Mr. Lonergan, that that is. I was going to say, are you only saying he deserves to win because no. he's this week's guest? <laughs> I've been on the record a long time with that, but he is this week's guest, and he is he is going to be the last of the uh, award season peeps that we're talking to on really? playback this year. Yeah, nobody wants to do an interview with me after voting's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> Isn't that funny? What's how that the is? point? Oh. But uh, and the lights, the lights just, just went off. So spontaneously you can take your turned off, telling telling <laughs> us to wrap this up. I just had to check on Constanza. Uh, Romero Wilson, and she was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Costume Design of uh, cool. the Fences Revival. Yeah. And then next week we're gonna uh, transition into some different stuff. So make make it clear to people this isn't just an awards podcast. We're gonna have Jordan Peele on the show next. I week. know you've seen it, and we need to talk about it next week because Get I've Out seen it movie. this week, and I am so excited for this movie. We'll talk about that next week, but uh, stay tuned for Ken Flanagan right after this. You could take one guy to an island with you and you knew you'd be safe because he was the best man. He was going to keep you happy. If it was between me and your father, who would you take? My daddy. I don't think you're wrong about that. Lose, sleep. What happened to my brother? So that's the Lee Chandler. 
I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I swear. I'm just a backup. Lee, nobody can appreciate what you've been through. And if you really feel you can't take this on, you know, that's your right. Where are we going to the orphanage? Shut up. Get in the car. Can't obey your orders until you unlock the door. Whatever you decide, he can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? Well, he doesn't we want to already, be my guardian. We already got a house. We're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. House? Hello. Hello, Lee. I just want to call and say I'm sorry. How's Patrick doing? He doesn't really open up with me. Do you actually have sex with these girls? Strictly basement business. What does that mean? It means I'm working on it. You don't want to be my guardian? That's fine with me. Not that. It's just the logistics. All my friends are here. I got two girlfriends, and I'm in a band. You're a Janet and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the writer and director of Manchester by the Sea, Kenneth Lonergan. Thanks for doing my show, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, we call him Kenny, which I'm curious about. Where did that start? It just started when I was, well, a small child, and it never got altered. It just stuck. Yeah. It was never Ken. Never Ken. Occasionally Kenneth. And, uh, you know, I have, as I get older, it's harder and harder for people to call me Kenny. And I have some English friends who refuse to call me Kenny at all. <laughs> what do you prefer? I prefer Kenny because it's my name. But, yeah. Uh, I, I'm working with some people in England now who I met about a year ago, and they, two years ago now, and I cannot get them to... It, they find it so embarrassing to call me Kenny that they just I, we have course we correspond more than we talk on the phone and or more than we meet, and I say, here are the latest pages, et cetera, et cetera. Best Kenny, and they say, dear Ken, thanks for the pages, <laughs> and I can't get them to stop. Uh, I'm kind of bookending the Oscar year, so to speak, with you because uh, I think I believe this is going to be my last uh, interview with award season talent, if you will, and we first talked about this movie January last year just before the that's Sundance right. premiere yeah, so right. I've bookended my year with Kenny Lonergan well you have two <laughs> weeks left we don't know who else you're going to have on the show uh, you know this is the second time uh, you've had that kind of a long haul from a Sundance premiere through to a fall release and then uh, into the awards season 16 years ago you can count on me premiered at Sundance and uh, released in December that year I believe and uh, same thing this year the, with the October release, but uh, very different award seasons. You know, the, the season has kind of evolved as what it is, you know. Yeah. But how have those two experiences compared for you? Well, um, that experience was uh, a bit on a somewhat smaller scale, because, uh, it w but it was also the first time I'd done any of that stuff. So I... But it was—it it feels like it was a lot more modest. I mean, for one thing, it was being distributed by Paramount Classics, which had a much uh, more uh, contained mandate for their releases. Uh, they only spent a certain amount of money, and they, they only expected to make a certain profit. And so the film would never went into a wide release. It was only released on 100 screens at, at its height, even though it played for many, many months, which was really nice. Really? 100 screens? Yeah, 100, 110 screens, I think. Um and uh, so my I and I also just don't think there were as many award shows in those days. I mean, yeah. in two thousand, I might have just not have been invited to them. But I, <laughs> but, but I don't remember quite such a, a, a dense circuit yeah. as, as now. But um, it was more of an it was a real novelty, I guess, and it was it just felt a little more. Um, it was also it was a really kind of a heady time for me because it was also. Um, I'd been hired to do rewrites on Gangs in New York, so my wife and I, we'd, I also just gotten married, and we were living in Rome because I was working on Gangs in New York and flying back and forth between this incredible Scorsese project and my release of my first movie, and that was really fun, although tiring. But it was, but and this has been, um, this has been a little bit more like a like a. Uh, one element of it's been a bit more like a campaign like there's just all these you know there's so much to do now in the movie and Amazon's distributing the movie and they're you know they're doing absolutely everything you would want your distributor to do mm -hmm. um, so it's been busier and you know and I'm 16 years older and 
well, a 15 year old daughter now and uh so everything's different yeah i bet you mentioned gangs there actually i'm, I'm curious were you uh were you able to go down to the set much, or were you oh just stuck in the hotel room? No, no. My office was, was 50 feet away from the gates to the set, so I was on the set all the time. That's awesome. They were, anytime I had to, you know, had to or wanted to go talk to Scorsese or anybody, I just walked through the gates into 19th century New York, and it was just incredible. It took 10, 15 minutes to walk across the whole set, Ugh. and they just kept moving the production around from one incredible location to another one incredible set to another uh, indoors or outdoors and uh oh it's just thrilling and then at night go meet my wife at some fantastic roman restaurant and we just <laughs> had a great time we were there for three months it's pretty romantic that was wonderful uh i want to go back in time a little bit you're, you're you know formally trained as uh a writer uh you went to wesleyan university and nyu and you specifically trained in writing so just kind of a curiosity uh, like i have a fine art arts degree and i've always felt like oh, i wish i had something broader like a liberal arts mm. kind of thing uh how did what do you think about that specific having such a specific education in the arts well, it's funny because the Wesleyan, I didn't, you know, I was, I wanted to be a playwright since I was in ninth grade, and I had a, my real teacher was uh, Matthew Broderick's mother, Patricia Broderick, who was a very close friend of mine, and uh, who who was, I didn't think of her as my mentor at the time, I thought of her as my friend, but she was essentially my mentor, and uh, so I, she was just a real brilliant woman, uh, and she I showed her everything that I wrote from the time I was in 10th grade till the year she died in 2003. And um, she was just immensely helpful, and I learned so much from her. And so uh, Wesleyan was, I just went to the, I, I didn't take playwriting there or anything like that. I just took some history classes oh, okay. and a Shakespeare class. And then I took a year off, then I went to NYU to the Tisch School of the Arts Dramatic Writing Program, which was then in its infancy. And they, that also was a little, not a direct, uh, didn't directly relate to the work I was doing. I mostly went there because my parents wanted me to get a degree, and I thought the homework would be easy because the homework was writing plays. And so uh, that said, there are a lot of really good teachers there, and I met uh, I met all the friends who would later uh, be important in my life and lead to the other friends who would become important in my life, both you know personally and, and in terms of us all getting our careers started around the same time. Mm-hmm. Did, do you kind of like uh, being f- sort of formally trained? Did that instill like any sort of rigidity in you with it, as it pertains to the art form? Like, do you find it difficult to like break form as a result of education? Just, I'm curious how that plays oh, out. No, not at all. You know, I find the academic approach to playwriting and analyzing plays and films to be antithetical to writing them. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, I think most most techniques for breaking down dramatic writing is, are, are analytical and not utilitarian so it may be that every movie has a three act structure but I never for one minute worry about whether there's one act, two acts, three acts 20 acts, I don't even know what it means mm-hmm. um, I think you know, and it may be that every movie has a exposition development resolution and a coda but it's, it's a description of what's happened after it's, the work has been done and it's not really a program for getting the work done for mm-hmm. me so you know i i was i you know i was taught and developed uh, more of a in, you know from inside out approach uh trying to let the material dictate the structure trying to find the right shape for the feeling of the of the piece and and you know any technique that i have is really geared towards turning my analytical part of my mind off and letting the material write itself so i I'm 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 not just not I I not only find the the uh, formal way to break down uh, dramatic material unhelpful I'm actually I'm actually somewhat opposed to it because I've seen other people trying to learn how to write uh, starting out writing following their instincts and invariably veering off at some point because it's not enough like a play or a movie or their idea of what a play or a movie should be mm-hmm. um, and. <clears throat> doesn't mean you shouldn't have a story with beginning, middle, and an end, but um, I think the best work is where people really follow their, their instincts, and, and a technique is just a way to get your instincts to operate more freely. Right. 
Uh, this is <clears throat> this is a dreadful question, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll but, see. What is your process as a writer? Like, are you you know like I don't know trumbo in the bathtub or something like? You know, what's your kind of actual process of getting into the the mood and writing? Um, it, it could be a number of things. I listen to music a lot um, when I'm writing or when I'm trying to write. I usually will have an idea which is hard to explain you just have one uh often i i often get ideas when i'm reading or something else or watching something else i i i used to i get ideas when i'm watching something that's not that's almost good or that i that i almost like but so i'm both engaged but my mind's wandering a little bit i've had several ideas watching plays or movies that i partly liked um and um then uh, if I have an idea that seems exciting, then I'll write it down in my little marble notebook, and then I'll keep uh, take notes. You know, anytime I have an idea for something related to the material, I'll write it down, or even a thought, or an idea for a scene, or a line of dialogue, and I'll write it down. And then um, I usually just start writing at the beginning of the story, whatever that is. It may not end up being the beginning of the story, but I'll I. I I usually write from start to finish. I don't write scenes that are... I don't start with scenes at the end or in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then I guess... um, uh, Then then invariably I can't go too far unless I have some idea where it's going. And once I have an idea for how it's going to end, then... I know I have. If I ha- if I know where it's going, then I know that I have a piece that's going to work out as a full length uh, p- piece of material. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know where the ending is, I, it's usually much more difficult for me. And then it becomes a question of kind of going along this road, not knowing exactly what the stops are going to be. But you have some idea, and then as the 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 better you're doing, the more ideas occur to you as you go along. Yeah. And then, and certain scenes you'll know are coming up. Uh, there's usually some scene or one or two important scenes that I know are going to happen sometime in the future of the script. And uh, but you don't like you don't outline very specifically I, or anything like that. I don't. I I outlined one. I want. I've outlined a couple of movie projects for hire because, and that was actually really helpful because if you write a really detailed outline, you don't have to wait for inspiration that day. You can just go to the outline and write the next scene mm-hmm. in the outline. But I never did that for myself. I will outline what's already happened when I get stuck because the way I usually get unstuck is to really kind of uh, reorient myself into what's happened already and try to find out where I've missed something or doubled over or something or doubled back and gone astray and like if you can tell the story straight out verbally to someone sometimes I'll do that either to myself or to someone else and where you start to stutter and trip your words start to trip you up then uh, you know that's a place you haven't figured out quite well enough, and then you know it's it's a little bit like a little bit like practicing medicine because the, there's a, sometimes problems in the script that don't appear that appear in a different place from the cause, uh, the symptoms of your. Yeah, I've, I know what you mean. I've I've kind of equated that to like uh, chiropractor, you know, like like you've got a kink in your neck but it's causing like yeah. low back pain yeah like so i'm stuck on page 44 yeah. or there's a scene that really seems terrible and the reason it's terrible is because of some other scene on page 24 yeah yeah i hear you well this one came together a little differently for you it was an idea that started with john krasinski and he was working on it with matt damon uh they came to you with it <clears throat> you were going to uh, write it for them mm-hmm. without an anticipation of directing it and then ultimately you were the director so uh Given that it came together, you know, it wasn't like born inside you per se. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious how you, uh, like, what you put of yourself into it. Like, how did you end up finally personalizing Manchester by the Sea? Well, that's, it's, it was actually actually interesting because, you know, I've done this all my life, so I'm kind of interested in the psychology of of, of the creative process, um, just as a just as an interesting thing to think about, and. Uh, you know, I get I, I I I'm pitched a number of ideas during a, a normal year for this or that project uh, that I might that someone might want to hire me for, and um, most of them don't interest me. And this was a little different because Matt was a friend and is a friend, and um, uh, so I was more inclined to like 
the idea before I even heard it. And then when I did hear it, it just really struck me as a really good idea. I mean, I was really immediately interested and taken by the idea of a guy who has, has left home because of a personal tragedy and goes back to take care of his uh, nephew after his brother dies. And I, and I, as soon as I liked the idea, it was almost as if I'd had it myself. And, it, and as soon as I decided to write the script, it because it was uh, such a protected situation, because I knew it wasn't going to be a, a regular job for hire where I would be replaced at the end of it, which invariably happens when you're when you're hired to write a screenplay, or almost always happens anyway. Uh, I I it gave me the freedom to treat it as if it were my own, because I knew Matt wouldn't be rewriting it or firing me uh, without my without my consent. Mm-hmm. So. And it doesn't feel at all like it wasn't my idea anymore. I mean, just because I got the fr- the idea from the initial impulse came from somebody else, it, it immediately became, or very quickly became my own, and and all the um, problems and all the ways of solving the problems were just as if I had thought of the idea myself. Mm-hmm. Is there anything of yourself that's actually in kind of the drama of the movie? I mean, I'm sure to an extent that's always the case, but like. You went up there, you researched the area and everything, and, and but but I'm just curious, like, how much Kenny is is there in Manchester? Oh, quite a lot, I think. I mean, there always is. You can't really write anything that doesn't isn't invested with your own yeah personality or your own ideas about other people or you know or or various you know it's always there's always a lot of oneself in, in anything one writes. Um, uh, it's a little hard to tell sometimes, you know, a couple of years afterwards, you'll be like, oh, my God, that's just like my relationship with my uncle or my cousin or my or that those kids I made friends with when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't always know that when you're writing. Um, you know, I was coming off of a really unpleasant period in my life after the legal and procedural difficulties surrounding my previous film, Margaret, which you know all about. Um, and I was, you know, things... I don't think it would be that far afield to say my life had been wrecked somewhat and partly by my by with my complicity uh, partly because I you know it was a situation I don't think I handled as well as I might have and I and whoever's fault it was it was you know 5 years of real duress and financial duress and I felt like I put my family through real hell because I was just trying to save and protect this movie and I think and that's not nearly as bad as what my characters go through in Manchester but you're always using your own experience as an analog to what happens with your characters um, and and actually interestingly enough I think that's why audiences can enjoy a film whether it's a serious film or a comedy th- that is about an experience they haven't had because they their feelings in similar circumstances act are, are can be are, are an analog to what they're watching mm-hmm. um, so I think that that feeling of kind of having everything been wrecked uh, and my having participated in its wrecking uh, definitely fed the my interest in this particular story of a guy who has literally destroyed his own life. Yeah, I can imagine so. And that's why I asked the question, because the curiosity is whether any of the headache and heartache of, of Margaret kind of feeds its way into the writing process when you move on to your next thing. It did in that way, in a very positive way, in a creative way. But uh, also, the other thing is that you can't... Uh, I'm not good at... It, I couldn't write a... I wouldn't be interested in writing a movie or a play about a person who's having trouble with a movie. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. not that interesting to me as a as a piece of fiction. Right. Uh, but it, but what I knew about that experience or felt about that experience uh, fed my uh, understanding of of this imaginary experience. Yeah. And the other thing that comes through too is that I was surrounded by many many loving and goodwill people who helped me out like tremendously during that time and that's a lot of what this movie is about is people mm-hmm. standing you know really showing up for each other even if it's even under really difficult circumstances i think there's more of that in the movie than almost anything else uh yeah it, it's not quite obvious at first but you know casey's character is like a very dutiful person and he's really doing his best to to uh to do the right thing even though it's almost impossible for him to do it and everybody around him many people his brother tries to help him his nephew in his own way you know everyone they're all kind of trying to help each other through this um and uh, i had a lot of help 
uh, when I was having my troubles and, and other troubles that I've had. You know, you kind of, everything kind of feeds. In. It's funny when you're writing something, everything you've ever been through feeds into it or all the useful things feed into it. And then you, not only that, but you start noticing in, in your daily life, you, you, your, your eye just starts to pick up your eye and your ear pick up all these things that have that are related to your, what you're working on. Uh, that's when it's going well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Did you did it take much persuasion to to direct the film, given that you were coming off of that experience? Like, was that something that you weren't eager to? No, I don't. I think I wanted to direct something at some point. I don't. I think it took me. A, I don't think it was more than a few weeks thinking about it between the time they suggested, you know, that I do it. Between the time Matt. Damon suggested I track the film, and when I decided to do it, I don't think it was more than a month of trying to make up my mind about it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I don't recall too clearly. Uh, uh, it was It didn't feel like a tremendous decision. Uh, it felt kind of like everything was pointing in that direction. You had told me uh, when we spoke about this movie about a year ago that when you wrote it without the anticipation of directing it, you wrote it differently than if you would have if you knew you were going to direct it. So yeah. I'm curious, like, if there's anything specific you can say about that. Like, what kind of corners did you sort of write yourself into as the writer that you mm. ultimately had to deal with as the director? Well, the two things that come to mind are the flashbacks and the driving. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um, there, you know, there's a flashback structure in the film that's pretty complicated in this page even though it's not that complicated in the in the finished film but i you know there there are multiple flashbacks to not to um the storyline of 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 uh the main character's brother played uh, joe who's played by kyle chandler and the history of his uh his medical problems and then there are flashbacks to uh the main character lee his early life before anything went wrong, then what went wrong, then what happened in the aftermath. And so in the script, it'll say seven years ago. It'll say flashback seven years ago, and then the next, and then it'll come back to the present, and then it'll say flashback seven years ago, this, six months after the previous flashback. And I, I, and I wrote out a timetable, and I really worked everything out as carefully as I could because I wanted to keep it all straight because the flashbacks weren't initially linear. They weren't initially chronological. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I think from the beginning, I wasn't sure whether at the beginning I wasn't sure whether the flashbacks should be long scenes or whether there should be like little little quick flashbacks or cutaways to uh, that are more impressionistic. And um, I f early on figured it would be an issue that would be resolved by the director in the editing room, whether or not to intersperse more uh, shorter, more kind of punchy, peppery uh, little images from the past. And in the script, it, it moved towards a, a longer and longer flashbacks and more and more sequential flashbacks. And um, But I always figured that the, whoever directed the movie would maybe want to play around with that in the editing room. And when I came to direct the movie, I, it, it, I ended up sticking pretty close to the script because I'd worked it all out beforehand. And the other one is much more simple. There's just a lot of scenes in the car with, <laughs> yeah. with, with, with uh, Casey and uh, Lucas Hedges. And um, I just, at some point, remember thinking, man, this is a lot of driving scenes. <laughs> I hope the director figures out a cool way to shoot these because I'm glad I don't have to. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you mentioned the flashbacks. I think there's a there's a wrong impression out there that that I've heard uh, people think that was discovered in in post, and it was not. It was willful from the beginning. This this oh, yeah. this, this uh, intention to use this sort of seamless, I think, uh, flashback structure. Uh, what talk to me about that? Like, why why did you think that that was a way to tell this story? Um, it seemed like the natural. It seemed like a natural. Um, it seemed like a more dramatic way to get into it than what I had started out with which was a linear story just a guy wakes up and he goes to the store and he comes home and he sees his family and then you know some bad things happen and then uh, uh, that that was that that just felt very um, weak and so I cut away everything and started the movie over again the script over again with uh, uh, the main character shoveling snow outside his apartment complex where he works as a janitor and that seemed like a really good image to start the film with and then very quickly realized I had a, a an opening sequence with a very strange man who is very cut off and detached and not detached but he's very he's clearly under a lot of internal pressure and he's 
just acting in a very strange way with all these tenants and immediately there's a little mystery as to what's wrong with them and then I, I wasn't exactly planning to create a sense of mystery at the beginning but just starting with here's this guy shoveling snow who won't relate to people in a normal way it creates some interest as to what's wrong with him and then uh, as he and then it's then when he has to go up to Manchester to to deal with his brother's death he immediately starts having memories of what happened when he last left because the idea is this is a guy who does not want to go home who can't bear to go home because the memories there are too painful for him so it really seemed like a very natural way to go and then it kind of developed into a parallel storyline which it was a nice case where the structure and the feeling of the story go together perfectly Mm -hmm. uh, because this is a guy who's past is such a burden on him that he can barely function mm-hmm. and so it's very natural that the flashbacks which are really just me- are me- you know the memories that he has come in come come at him without warning and without a lot of rumination on his part he's he's kind of flooded by them then um um it then became a question of uh motivating the flashbacks, pretty, you know, or mo- motivating the memories, um, and I, I moved them around a little bit, you know, in the writing. I wasn't sure if they should be continuous or interspersed with other things. And I, but I remember there's a section where he's his nephew wants him to stick around in the town and not and to move back home, which he can't do. And he's essentially he starts out with a very tough line that they're just leaving, and that's just the way it's going to be. And then I had a couple of flashbacks of, of uh, after the tragedy of his brother really helping him out and saving his life essentially and uh, after a big fight and I st- started to move them around to so that he would have the memories of his brother helping him just at the moment where he's not helping his nephew enough and then there's a scene I'm not saying this very well but there's a scene where he they have a big fight about moving and the kid the kid kind of has a big breakdown and then they go and then he goes to sleep and in, when the kid is sleeping and Lee is sitting there watching him he remembers he, we then cut back in time to the lowest ebb of his life when his brother refused to let him fall off the edge of the earth mm-hmm. and then when we cut back to the present he's thought about things and he suggests a compromise with his nephew because he's remembering how well taken care of he was by his brother yeah so I just tried to relate the flesh, the memories to what was happening in the in the present story. I think you said it perfectly. I, I bring it up because I want to dispel that notion that uh, this was somehow discovered in, in editing and, and was not uh, designed, and I think it speaks to the power of the writing. So, well, thanks. Yeah. I will say that what we did do in the editing was we found this, uh, this invisible or this kind of seamless uh, – way of transiting to the flashbacks because in the script there's a little more buffer on the beginnings and ends of them it'll say Lee watches TV his, you know he stares off into space and then cut back to seven years ago and mm-hmm. that we do that a couple of times but we actually really became enamored really quickly of, of not giving any warning whether it was past or present and because that felt more like what was he what he was experiencing than to you know do a more traditional setup for for going uh to a past storyline. Yeah. And then last kind of specific question here is just uh, what, were, what were your early just ideas to tell the story visually as a director? Because it's uh, very character-driven, uh, full of your penchant for uh, really naturalistic dialogue. Uh, so I don't know if it if it was the kind of thing that immediately suggested certain visual ideas, but what did you what what came to mind for you? Sure, it did actually. I mean, yeah. or very quickly anyway. Um, one recurring visual idea that I had was to cut away from the action to the town from the perspective of someone who was a mile offshore. Uh, there's a lot of little interstitial. Um, well, not a lot. There's a half a dozen little inserts which it says you know exterior ocean the town from at night from the ocean we see the lights of the town twinkling uh mm-hmm. and uh uh in the distance and occasionally i say there's a starry sky over it or or it'll be the daytime so there's always a i was freak i was interested in in um stepping back and looking at the whole town uh with the ocean in front of it uh mm-hmm. and that's something that that um was a visual idea that was there from the beginning and uh, which I'm really happy we were able to get into the movie because it's such a 
beautiful area, and there's so many great water views there. And, and it's not just for beauty's sake, but just to, it, I don't know, sometimes when you just take a wider look at a place, it, it suddenly puts everything in a different perspective. <clears throat> and well, let's see if there were any others. Um, well, I know I talked to Casey and tell you right actually about some of this, and he mentioned I, I think there was some stuff you weren't able to do because of the weather ultimately, but yeah. like certain things you would write about how the ships in the harbor and, and with the fr- how, how the, the harbor would freeze, yeah. which I think end, ends up speaking thematically because to me the story is about like ultimately the power of like the thaw, yeah, you know, and and and, and then moving on with your life, and so you can certainly play with that visually with a yeah, place that, like was that. A, that was that was that was you know the story does go from winter to early spring and and there is a somewhat of a thaw in 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 the the Lee's character um, and but that's such a I, I had to be very careful with that metaphor because <laughs> yeah. it could easily run away with you yeah um but uh um yeah certainly that and also just i knew i, I knew that the the area i think i had a I had a number of um exterior driving shots i think i had the idea of shooting the alongside the just the seeing the town at night or seeing the town in the daytime from 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 at, from the from the point of view of someone who was at sea um seeing the car kind of weave along through the lights of the town at night, the only car driving. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's all those ideas you have are, are almost always, it's just, it, it occurs to you as like something that would be cool to shoot or cool to look at, and then it almost always has some emotional connection to the content. Yeah. And then last thing, uh, do you have, you don't have your next film like lined up yet, right? Are you, are, no. you, are you closing in? Are you eager to go into another one or do you uh, want to go back to the stage? Like what's the plan? I'm, I'm eager to go either into a play or to another film or, or, or anything. I have a number of things I'm working on. I'm not sure which one of them is going to, um, get finished first. So whatever that is, is the next thing I'll do. Have um, they thrown a Marvel movie at you yet? No, I tried <laughs> to get the hired writings, uh, doing the Submariner movie, but uh, that was already underway. <laughs> I always wonder if, if if guys like you, where it's almost like you want to ask the studio heads, like, do you watch my movies? <laughs> if they just throw you ridiculous projects. But uh, I don't know, maybe you'd be into doing something. Well, there's, there's sort of, you know, if they think you're doing well, they'll offer you anything. Yeah. Yeah, you want to put that name on the poster and on yeah, the trailer. You know, the director just, of Manchester by the Sea, The Avengers know, Part Three. Exactly, <laughs> they're in a precarious position. You know, they're always getting fired, and they they don't want to. Yeah. They want to be safe and sort of understandable. So they're like, oh, this movie did well. He can do the he can do this. He can do our other movies, <laughs> and then they can explain to their corporate masters why they hired you. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. Once again, the movie is Manchester by the Sea. Uh, you can watch it now on iTunes, or you know, preferably go to the theater and check it out and it's on blu-ray dvd uh february 21st uh, kenny thanks again for coming on the show man oh really my pleasure it. thank you thanks for listening everyone remember to subscribe and check back next week when i'll be talking to get out writer and director jordan peele you've been listening to playback at variety Variety.